Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Social. This week, my guest is Rick Hanson. He's a psychologist, a senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he's got a lot of books that are available in 28 languages, including two of my favorite, Resilient and Hardwiring Happiness. He's a summa cum laude graduate of UCLA, a founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom. Say that three times. (laughs) He's been an invited speaker at Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, all kinds of places, and he teaches meditation around the world. His online Foundations of Well-Being program in positive neuroplasticity, it's amazing. And he offers it freely to people who are in financial need. I've taken his positive neuroplasticity course for professionals, and it's significantly impacted both my relationship with myself and with my clients and the rest of the world, to be honest. So welcome, Rick. Thank you so much for doing this. Janet, it's really a pleasure, honestly. I'm, I'm looking forward to our deep dive. Thank you. Well, starting kind of on the shallow beginning levels, what is positive neuroplasticity? It's well, first let's unpack that. Neuroplasticity is a fancy word for Mm -hmm. the for the ways in which our nervous system, especially our brain, gets changed by our experiences for better or worse. I think of it a little bit like rain falling on a hillside, gradually, you know, cutting channels and grooves in the hillside. And then as those grooves or channels get cut in a circular kind of way, they draw even more rain. And so over time, we tend to strengthen our habits for better or worse. Mm. Positive neuroplasticity is about using deliberately where you place your attention and especially what you do with what you're experiencing, what you, how you actively engage what you're experiencing to help the experiences you're having make the deepest possible positive channels inside your own brain. So that literally moments of gratitude or accomplishment or recognizing how to be more skillful with another person, maybe in a business environment or recognizing and feeling your own fundamentally good heart. Any one of those experiences through positive neuroplasticity can have more lasting impact so that you take the benefits with you wherever you go, even if the world is volatile and uncertain around you. And the world is always volatile and uncertain around us, isn't it? Seems like more than ever these days. Mm, Um, mm. So how does something like that, how does this practice, this understanding, mm -hmm. transforms people's lives? I mean, how can they really put this to use? Yeah, maybe I'll tell you that kind of as a personal story that I've come to realize, uh, it's like often in a person's life, there are these little moments or maybe it's a a day where suddenly something crystallizes for you and then you move on and you don't really recognize that that was a turning point in your own life. Mm. I can look back to being around 15 and I know I was about 15 because I was reading Dune, Frank Herbert's sci-fi classic at the time, Mm. whose character was also 15 And the central theme in that book, in many ways, is about personal development or training or growth, training the mind. And um, so I realized uh, right around that time that even though I was very unhappy, I was miserable, I was neurotic, I was incredibly awkward socially, I was just, as we say at California, I was a hot mess. I was a mess. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. And But what hit me was that however miserable my past had been, or even in the moment, how awkward or clueless I was in the moment, I had the opportunity every moment, every hour and every day to learn, to extract learning or insight or greater skillfulness or movement from my experiences. And that gave me an incredible amount of hope. It Mm. meant that whatever path I'd been on in the past, I could learn how to chart a more skillful, a better path every day of my life going forward. That was fantastic. It was, it really, it felt like a curse had been lifted and it filled me with hope. It was also really clear I had to do it myself. It was on me. No one can stop you from growing and learning, but no one can do it for you. Mm. It's very trustworthy in a way because it's old school. You earn the fruits. And so then it became clear to me soon after that, that if growing, developing, learning, broadly defined, 
was the most important thing a person could do over time, then learning how to learn was the most important thing of all to learn mm. because it's the superpower that grows the other superpowers. So that kind of set me on my way. And that all might seem a little abstract, but to make it quite concrete, as we meet life moment by moment by moment, things around us keep changing, but who we are as we meet them, our state of being, our traits, our mm -hmm. fundamental stable qualities, for better or worse, irritability or patience, anxiety or confidence, self-worth or feelings of inadequacy, skillfulness or cluelessness, uh, empathy or um, just misunderstanding of other people, moment to moment to moment. Those traits that we have, positive or negative, really shape how we respond to life and grad and the results gradually accumulate over time. So it's sort of like the, the ads, what's in your wallet? Or I think about as a rock climber and a wilderness guy, um, what's in your backpack? What do you got with you? What are the supplies you've got with you down the long and twisty road of life? And th those supplies are things like gratitude, grit, patience, uh, emotional intelligence, mindfulness, self-compassion, happiness, positive emotions are major supplies in your backpack. So to finish, if you get better at getting more supplies in your backpack and you get faster at learning from interactions with other people, or uh, if you get better at helping your daily meditation or whatever you might do, have more of a lasting impact on you, then the results of that grow positive traits in you, like gratitude or grit or confidence or compassion for others or yourself, that then you take with you wherever you go, which create even more positive experiences for you that mm -hmm. you can then harvest further in a wonderful positive upward spiral. And this isn't something, it sounds like you came to a sort of epiphany, but it wasn't something that you just, bam, all of a sudden you were, I'm going to start learning. I'm going to get this all figured out. How, how long does that process take? The insight that every day gives each person an incredible opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the worse your life is, the more important it is to seize that opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's paradoxical. It sounds, it can sound like this is all about smell the roses, you know, have a good life. It's good for yuppies, but what about the rest of us? No, no, it's the exact opposite. The more your life, the more pain you're in, the harder your situation, caring for loved ones, dealing with poverty, pushing against racism, you know, or discrimination in other ways in your own life, whatever it might be. Um, however difficult your life is, the more important it is to grow these strengths inside. Mm. That calling positive traits. And so that's the key point. That insight that you have this power and you have this responsibility because no one can do it for you. Right. That insight can come to you just like that. People can mm. get that insight maybe right now. It can, honestly, when I rewind, I think what happened for me, it hit me really over the course of the day. And like growing other traits, we can grow trait insight. Like mm -hmm. we've often had ideas or shoulds, like we think, oh, I really should exercise or I really should listen longer before I lay my infinite wisdom on my spouse uh, <laughs> or something like that or my teenager <laughs> um, or, or in the meeting I'm in. So we have, these, we have these insights, we have these ideas, but they don't tend to sink in. So a person can actually help ideas, what the Buddha called wise view a long time mm -hmm. ago. We can help wise view to sink in too. So that insight can happen quickly. But the mm -hmm. practice of the implementation, much as with exercise or treating other people well and, and growing uh, a relationship, uh, that's a daily practice that builds mm -hmm. up over time. In terms of neuroplasticity, the brain is really quick. Uh, we can learn a new idea in half a second, actually. We could pick up a piece of data, like a number or a word, in a second or less. But mm -hmm. emotional learning, somatic learning, body learning, or interpersonal learning, or what's called intrapersonal learning, learning how to be more skillful inside ourselves or, or shifting our mood over time in a more happier, in a happier direction, that kind of learning is, is slower. It builds up slowly right. over time. That means that daily practice is important. Mm -hmm. Now, concretely, uh, if people were to say, okay, Rick, bottom line it, I'd say, hey, give me 10 minutes a day and I'll change your life. 
or more exactly, give yourself 10 minutes a day and you'll change your life. The first right. day you do it, it'll feel different. Do it for a week in a row, you'll feel quite different. Do it for a month in a row, you're in a whole different world inside. Mm. 10 minutes a day. Do you want me to tell you what to do with the 10 minutes? Oh, yes. You're ready. <laughs> Three things. In ten, and they take less than 10 minutes a day. And I'll tell you this, as a longtime business coach, management consultant, psychologist, therapist, parent, mindfulness teacher, I'm just stunned by how often people will spend an hour a day on stuff that they know doesn't matter very much, but they won't spend 10 minutes a day on stuff that matters a lot. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? So I'm going to kind of throw down the gauntlet here a bit, challenge people. Go for it. All right. So first thing, as you go through your day, slow down half a dozen times for a breath or two or three to take in the good of the present moment. Usually it'll be little things. You just got something done. You finally finished the dishes. The sink looks all clean and nice. You're hanging out with your partner and there's a nice feeling between you. You finally got the kids to bed. No one's bugging you and you can watch your favorite TV show. Uh, you know, you uh, look outside and, and you have a moment of calming, a kind of peacefulness. Your body relaxes, your breathing slows down. You feel, maybe you feel determined. Maybe somebody's pushing you around at work a little bit and you push back for once and it feels good let it sink in so Mm -hmm. half a dozen times a day for less than half a minute at a time for a breath or two or three slow down and let it sink in help your nerve there's a famous saying you know it neurons that fire together wire together Mm -hmm. slow down keep those neurons firing together so they can wire the residues of that beneficial experience into your body especially your brain that's Mm -hmm. One thing to do each day in this 10-minute you know, framework. Second thing, pick something specific that you are trying to develop in yourself these days. Maybe it's um, helping yourself in real time when you're uh, with, let's say, your longtime partner, being myself, to be particularly careful about moving into any kind of exasperation or hassling or anything and just slow it down and let it kind of flow on by. Because most of the time, your exasperation is actually not warranted, or it's certainly mm-hmm. not going to be skillful. For example, and I have a wonderful wife, to be crystal clear. Or <laughs> maybe a person says, you know, I'm, I'm going to deepen my commitment to sobriety. It's mm-hmm. a little shaky these days. That's what you're developing. Or maybe you're trying to develop more real-time awareness of the radical transience of all experience. It's ephemerality. It's, it's impermanence. It's a pretty sophisticated contemplative mindfulness type insight. All right, that's what you're working on. Or maybe you're just trying to develop more of a trait of gratitude or a feeling of worth. Whatever it is, pick one thing. Know the particular high priority muscle you're focusing on these days. And then look for opportunities to experience it or factors of it. And then slow it down, marinate in that experience for a breath or two or longer. Feeling it in your body, focusing on what feels good about it, all of which will help install that passing experience as a lasting physical change in your brain. Mm-hmm. So that's the second thing. I call it, as you know, the vitamin C, what's your key resource? What one thing in particular are you really focused on these days? If you're clear about that, it changes your day because then you look for evidence of it or you look for ways to feel it. It starts, rather than spinning around everywhere, you have like a North Star, you know where you're going, you want to grow this one thing. And, and it's that's- okay that's part of the crucial learning here is that actually recognizing, let's say exasperation with your mate. Yeah. And, oh, I'm doing it again. Wow. That right there is a really pivotal moment that a lot of us don't allow ourselves to have before we react. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's why mindfulness, this, I call it, there are different terms for what I'm talking about here. You know, changing yourself for the better. Uh, you could, I call it uh, taking in the good, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another way of describing it is mindful cultivation. You're cultivating yourself, but mindfulness is key. You have to be mindful. Mm-hmm. You have to be mindful of what you're experiencing in the first place. You have to be mindful of when you're losing it, you're moving into the red zone and you need to tap into your positive traits to come back to the green zone. So you're coping skillfully, but you're not getting pissed off about it or freaked out or frozen, etc. So you need mindfulness and then you need mindfulness to recognize these opportunities to take in good experiences. 
yeah. the psychological nutrients of your life. You have to recognize when those little foods are available for you emotionally. <laughs> and then you need to stay mindful to keep your attention on them so you can actually uh, keep those neurons firing long enough to start mm -hmm. wiring into your brain. Yeah, mindfulness is absolutely key. Yeah. All right, so that's the second thing. And now, now I'm up to five minutes. See how easy it is? It's just five minutes, right? But will people, will people actually do it? <laughs> then the last one is go deep green. What do I mean by that? Um, we are animals. We have to meet our needs. The brain is designed to meet our needs basically in two separate ways, red zone, green zone. Red zone is you meet your needs for you know, structure, safety, or satisfaction, or connection. You meet your needs with fighting or fleeing or freezing. A lot of stress. That's effective in the short term, very costly to mind, body, and relationships, and the world haha, in the long term. Um, alternative, meet your needs on the basis of an underlying feeling of calm, capability, and strength, and positive mood, and sense of compassion for yourself and others. So on the basis of that, then you can deal with threats to safety or to satisfaction or connection, our three major needs, but inside yourself, you're not upset about it. You're feeling challenged, you might be tired, or on the edges, you're, you know that you got to deal with some things and you're worried about them. But in the core of your being, there's a resilient well-being in the very essence of you. That's the mm -hmm. alternative. So, so much of life these days, it drags us into the red zone, particularly in mild but chronic ways, the pink zone. And Mother Nature's plan for animals in the wild is to go red briefly. And as Robert Sapolsky put it, most episodes of stress in the wild end quickly, one way or another. <laughs> right I don't like that one yeah and then you come back you come back to to the green zone but humans we're constantly bombarded these days in modern cultures with one input or another one task or another switching roles from one to another uh you know ongoing sense of needing to impress other people or you know keep main, you know maintain our performance every day and frankly those vulnerabilities to to, to anxiety and pressure get exploited sometimes by the corporate overlords or the authoritarian political rulers or leaders. And um, they, you know, traps us in red. So it's really important to go into pure green at least a few minutes a day where you're deeply rested and you help your body, including the visceral core of the body, the cardiovascular and respiratory and gastrointestinal systems, the visceral core of you and related hormonal systems to really drop in to a very deep feeling of peace, contentment, and love in terms of those three needs. Maybe in the future, you got to go red. Maybe in the past, you had to go red. But in this moment, at least for a minute or five, one to five minutes, maybe just before bed, maybe when you wake up in the morning, maybe as part of your daily meditation or something, or you just say, I'm going to do five minutes a day where I'm going to let my worries go. I'm not going to try to do any work here. I'm just going to focus on breathing, a feeling of enoughness already. I'm okay already. And I'm just going to, you know, I'll make a deal with myself. I'll worry about all that other crap later. Right now, I'm going to help my body calm and relax like a soft, furry animal. Calm and feel good. Do that for one to five minutes a day. All right, that's the prescription. Less than 10 minutes. First day you do it, it'll be different. 10 days in a row, you feel really different, partly because there are bonuses built in. To do this, like you said, you got to be mindful, and you also have to be on your own side. You've got to be committed to yourself, which is good. Yeah. And that, that's a huge challenge. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of different types of clients, and sometimes people come to mindfulness, I think a lot of times people come to mindfulness because they're overwhelmed and they've had some kind of trauma and they're looking for an answer. And yeah. maybe I say that because that's how I came to it, but uh, people get into that area where, I'm sorry, there isn't anything positive in my life. I'm miserable and I'm staying here. By God, I am not leaving this. Everything's gray. There's nothing happy. And when you suggest to them to stop and look around and find some tiny speck of good that they can use to nourish themselves. Yeah. They think that it has to be joy. 
Yeah. It has to be amazing or it's not good enough. Yeah. But most of the time we don't live in a life that has those moments of explosive joy. Yeah. How do we help them find the small things when they feel like they can't see them? It's a very deep question. And all right. No, it's incredibly important, it's including with working with people. And it's a question mm-hmm. or an objection even that I've bumped into many times. Yeah. So um, I'll just kind of click through some, for me, key points about it. First is to acknowledge that the nature, that what's happening in the world or in a person's physical body matters too. We're going to focus on growing resources that are psychological, positive traits inside you, but that does not mean uh, ignoring the impact of the world or physical health issues. In fact, actually, Growing resources inside your mind enables you to deal with the, phys- with, the with your environment, including other people better, as well as your own physical body. Um, the, the point being that it's natural to be affected by what's happening around you. We're not talking about not being affected. Sure. We're not talking about turning a blind eye to the problems mm-hmm. of the world, first point. Second point is, key question for people is, do you want to help yourself have a better life? Fundamentally. Right. And if you don't, you don't. And honestly, that was the central clinical question with a num- with some of my clients. And ultimately, their answer was no. They were not committed to making their life better. They just, for various reasons, they didn't want to bother. They didn't want to make the effort. They, they were committed to a stance that they were going to wait for a rescue. And that was just the way it was. Mm. But for a lot of people, when they stare hard at that question, they can find a yes. They want to make their life better, right? And it's a and it's a very existential, sacred question. Yeah, and and I, you have to be ready. Yeah, to answer that question. Right. And some people are wallowing, or mm-hmm. just they want to be rescued. They want a, an easy button, a, a pill, and yeah. that's not coming. <laughs> or, or they're very or sometimes they're caught up in their war with the mm. world. And it, often it's a virtuous war because they're trying to fix the world or they're trying to get the school system mm-hmm. to give their kid the kind of tutoring she really needs, let's say. Um, but then they get, there's a term in psychology, stimulus bound, where we get glued to what mm-hmm. we're fighting with. And we're, we have a difficult time seeing that two things can be true. We can sustain that struggle that's virtuous, let's say with our adversary or with this condition we're trying to improve while at the same time widening our view to see the things that are not broken, the things that actually are working well, the flowers that are blooming, the children that are laughing, the goodness in your own heart, the goodness in the hearts of, I think everyone at some level and most people pretty apparently Um, it's okay to do both. But that's that's the second distinction. Are you on your own side here? Do you want to help yourself be happier? Do you want to help yourself be more effective? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to have more inside you can offer to other people? Do you want to, you know, feel nourished and good in this one precious life, your one wild and precious life, mm-hmm. as Mary Oliver puts it? Yeah. And so then if you get to that yes, then you can build from there. Right. Getting to that yes is fundamental. And um, it's also, I think, fundamental to make it very clear to people that we're not talking about looking at the world through rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. or denying anything that's difficult. Um, and when these two key points have been established, then when the yes but arises, you can go back to these two key points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then, you're, then you're with um, practical stuff where <clears throat> with people... How can I put it? First point, most of, most of the positive experiences that we can have are ones we are already having. Mm. You're already exhaling and your body's naturally relaxing as you exhale. You're already drinking water when you're thirsty. It's already happening. You're already crawling into bed at the end of a long day and like, boy, I'm like, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You make it to the bathroom. You laugh with a friend. You see a kitten video on YouTube and it makes you kind of smile. It's already happening. So it's not a question of looking for something. It's already there. Mm -hmm. The only question is, are you going to waste it on your brain? 
or mm-hmm. are you going to harvest the value? So mm-hmm. that's a key point. You're, you, all you need to do is just sort of notice what you're already experiencing, which, which uh, eliminates, uh, prevents right from the top. Um, uh, any kind of question about, oh, am I supposed to look for good facts in a shitty life? Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So you're, you, no, it's not about looking for good facts in this regard because you're already feeling it. Why not take in what you're already feeling? Right. But you're not feeling it. That's the problem. I think that people come back to me with. That's the, the but. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I'm with that. I say, well, what about all the things you are feeling? Mm. When you put your head on your pillow, do you feel the comfort of it? When you eat a cookie, do you do you feel the sweetness of it? Mm. When you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, yeah. and people go, well, yes, but if they go yes, but on that, I'm like, I got to go back to the first two questions. Are you on your own side? Are <laughs> right. you trying to help yourself? Are you ready? Yeah, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. then, so with all that said, then there's this whole category of helping yourself have a positive experience. That's legit. And as you know from going through my training, this is the distinction between noticing or creating in the very first step of the change process where we have to experience what we want to grow. Sure. So usually you just notice you're already experiencing it. Don't waste it. Mm-hmm. But sure, there's a place for creating it. Then we're here talking about recognizing good facts and then helping that recognition become a good experience, good feeling. And that that's where your question comes up, right? Somebody says, well, I don't feel it. That's okay. That's okay. So the first question is, do you see it? Did you see that that other person smiled to you? Smiled. Mm-hmm. Did you see that you actually got all these things done today? Well, uh, let's just slow it down. I understand you didn't get all these other things done. Did you see the things you did get done today? I've just been watching you right now for the last 10 minutes and I just, or I work with you every day. I just already, it's just lunchtime. I noticed that you did all these things today. You know, do you, do you notice it when you're actually kind or fair or decent to another person? Mm. You don't have to be a saint to recognize that you were decent and restrained or patient or supportive or encouraging uh, to that other or helpful to that other person. Did you see it? And so once you see it, and then people will often, they'll say, wow, there's so many things I'm not seeing. That's where we, that's a good place to start. But then there's this thing that's very poignant. I think you're getting at it. They see it, but they don't feel it. I know they like me. I don't feel liked. Mm -hmm. I know I, I'm a, you know, I'm, I treat people well, but I still feel deep down inside ashamed or tainted because I was maybe molested when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I see it, but I don't feel it. And then for me, there are skills related to helping ideas become feelings. Mindfulness of the body really helps because we tend to feel things in the body. So just focusing on, you know, every day, one or more minutes, do mindfulness of your body as a meditation, probably the sensations of breathing, the interior sensations of your body, especially in your gut. Um, technically, as you tune into your interior sensations, like your gut feelings or the sense of the diaphragm rising and falling, that literally adds or strengthens structure in a part of the brain called the insula that is also very involved with general self-awareness mm. you know, and, and helping experience be more embodied rather than just from the neck up and purely conceptual or cerebral. Um, so you can, a person can strengthen their capacity to help the knowing become feeling, you know, the recognition of a good fact become a good experience. Mm-hmm. They can do that. Slow it down. Don't allow, very often what happens is we recognize a good fact immediately, in less than a second, but it takes a few more seconds for the feelings to follow. But by then, very often, people have gotten distracted and they're off to the next thing. Right. Or they let others interrupt them. So, or, sorry, world, I'm going to have my I'm going to have my good moment here. I'm going to take this in, and it's so amazing. It's like it's like I know it's a dumb metaphor, but if you it's like imagine all these sweet flavors that come across the surface of your tongue, or all these good foods that come across the surface of your tongue and yet are not swallowed. They're just, they come across the surface, but we don't take them in. Um, So what I'm talking about here is when you recognize that sweet taste on your tongue or that good food has landed, don't just let it slide on by. Slow down for a breath 
that's usually around five, seven seconds, you know, slow down for a breath to let it really, really sink in. Mm. Um, and then, so then that, that, those things I'm saying here help people feel it. There are other blocks uh, to feeling. Uh, people in my book, Harboring Happiness, or my other programs, I have material about different blocks. You know, there can be issues that people have about they feel like it's they're not allowed to have to feel good, maybe because they felt did bad things when they were younger, or because that seems disloyal to others, or selfish, or vain, or sinful. And you know, you could push through that. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, I've known many women who felt like their job is to make others feel good, but to do that for themselves somehow feels foreign or not okay so sometimes they're personal reasons but if people are again are they if they're ready right if you get the idea that if you want to change for the better it's a two-step process you got to feel it and you got to internalize it right Right? they're they're two necessary steps but they're sufficient if you do both of them Mm. Uh, when they kind of get that and they again and again come back to this fundamental idea you have the power many times a day to shift who you are being and shift who you are becoming in a positive direction. Then people can get really motivated around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I want to make a little switch. I, th- <clears throat> I want to make a little switch. We're thinking about people who are maybe they're, feeling okay when they're away from work or they're away from the person at home that, you know, they're having an issue with, or maybe they're dealing with a parent who has Alzheimer's and they're dealing with that kind of caregiver situation. So things come and go in their lives that they have times when they're fine, as far as they're concerned. And then they go into these other situations and they're like, okay, here's all the stress. And they bring that stress with them, right? So how can they not bring that stress with them and be in that situation and and be okay with it while they're in that? Did I make that clear? Yeah, that is, I think there's some surface answers to the question and Mm -hmm. deep answers. Well, guess which one I want. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, the surface answer is more top down where you just remind yourself, you know, I, I remember rolling up at my front door many times when our kids were young and I would be stressed out from my day or just driving in traffic or preoccupied. And I would park the car and then stop for at least a few seconds, if not longer, to kind of check in with myself, recognize that I was jacked up, irritable, tired, kind of eager to be left alone. And still, I was going to walk in the front door and it was showtime. Hi, daddy, daddy's home. Yay. <laughs> You know, whoa. And, and I just realized, you know, I love my family and I was grateful to my wife for, you know, I was kind of doing the bulk of the child rearing. And uh, I just had to take a breath. And I would tell myself, literally, deliberately, slow down, Rick, cool it, get it together. Honestly, uh, sometimes I would, ma- I would let myself uh, read in the car for a couple, three minutes, just read a magazine to kind of create a little buffer between being edgy and revved up and the parenting and husbanding role I was going to step into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's more top down where you just remind yourself, you just, you just say, Hey, it's not my fault. There's a, there's a term from psychoanalysis called transference where we transfer in. And it, it's a simple idea where we, we want to be careful about not turning others into lightning rods for our reactions. Mm-hmm. Very okay. true for caregivers in particular. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so just that's where kind of top down. You're still irritable, maybe. You're still kind of revved up. Uh, my dad grew up on a ranch in North Dakota. I think there's a ranch saying about horses sometimes, rid hard and put up wet. <laughs> you know, yeah. where you feel you've been rid hard and put up wet, and you long to get to the stable and whatever that is, you know, cookie or beer or something, but mm. you can't and you got to deal. Okay, yeah. top down, you remind yourself, don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Not an and- issue. Be be present and not bring all of the things that you have decided are going to happen with you. Yeah. Watch out that agenda, that insistence. There's Mm -hmm. a line, if you don't want to get disappointed, don't get appointed. 
In other <laughs> words, don't, don't appoint yourself to a particular expectation. Of right, something. right. Yeah. So that's the surface answer, and it's a, mm-hmm. a useful one. It's certainly one I still draw on. The deeper answer is to not let those previous stressful experiences, to, in a line from the Buddha, do not let them invade the mind and remain. That's the distinction. It's one thing to feel them. They flow through. We can feel them in mindfulness. They can come and they can go. We, and they can wash through our body where we don't um, follow after them or fight them or cling to them. We try to help our body be more like, and are more like Teflon than Velcro. Mm-hmm. So they slide on by. Uh, and it really helps. Uh, to, and to be able to do that, the key is to not identify with red zone experiences or be hijacked by them because that reinforces them. And the brain is unfortunately designed to be like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive ones. That's this negativity bias that helped right. our ancestors survive. But for us today, it creates a lot of excess suffering, needless suffering. Mm-hmm. So the key is to build up the core inside yourself, this unshakable core of of resilient well-being so that when you're in challenging situations, they might be kind of frazzling you. There might be a moment of exasperation arising, but it doesn't invade the mind and remain. It doesn't invade your core mm. and, and take up, doesn't occupy you. It doesn't take up lodgings there. Uh, it moves on through. And then what that means is you become more like, uh, I, and I feel this way more and more, you feel more and more like a space or a, a tube through which the sewage flows, right? But it doesn't stain you. It doesn't sink in. Mm. And then you can come into the next situation washed clean. You know, you're already washed clean. That's the deep answer, I think. I think that would be extremely useful for people that are dealing with um, traumatic events. Let's say first responders, you know, we've just had all of these fires in California and, you know, some, some of us are really traumatized just by hearing about it at this point. Um, But to be a first responder who goes into a situation like that, you, you can't go in, you know, being prepared to see the trauma and to absorb the trauma. You have to find a way to go into every situation fresh. That. I think that's right, and, and there are levels of it. Um, the more we grow this core of resilient well-being, the more able we are to deal with intense, intense, awful things mm-hmm. without them leaving a permanent residue behind. We feel it. We deal with it. We, maybe when we're done, we're like, holy crap, that was terrible, mm-hmm. you know? But when we wake up the next morning, we haven't been traumatized by it. And, and that's the result of developing this inner core. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a person uh, walls off inside, I was talking with a physician recently, an expert on, on physician uh, vicarious trauma over time and, and physician burnout. If you wall yourself off from feeling it in the moment, it builds up over time. It's denial. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not talking about stiff upper lip or being cold and heartless. I mean, that might, that'll work for a fire season. It will not work over your career. Right. uh, Because it will gradually add up over time. The long-term strategy is to grow this core of equanimity inside yourself of a core of well-being that's resilient um, so that, you know, the waves can move through you, but they don't shatter you Mm -hmm. because you're not brittle. Uh, I think that's part of a response. The second one is to use the, uh, what I call linking in my heel, H-E-A-L structure, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's the optional fourth step of the change process where we can use positive experiences to link to negative material and gradually soothe and even replace the negative material. So if a person has been uh, traumatized or, you know, more broadly, they've been affected by mm-hmm experiences they've had. They're in lasting ways. Uh, What a person can do, as you know, and I describe how to do this in a variety of ways, a lot of detail, but the essence is really simple, is to be aware of two things at the same time. 
basically, in the field of awareness. So off to the side is the negative material. Keep it small and under control and at a distance. And then in the foreground, intense, is the positive material that's matched to the negative. So maybe mm-hmm. negative material is just this feeling of helplessness. You couldn't do anything or you, there's nothing you could do. Uh, and we're very vulnerable to acquiring what's called learned helplessness. So uh, the alternative that would be matched to that would be a feeling of agency or efficacy. Like you're a chooser, you're a doer, you make things happen. You're a hammer, not a nail, at least mm-hmm. in other parts of your life. So you focus on the feeling of that sense of, uh, you know, capability and being a doer, not just one who was done to. And right. um, you would be aware of two things then at once for a breath or two or three or longer, uh, the longer the better. And you're gradually enabling the positive material to associate with the negative material, neurons that fire together, wire together. So you keep both those experiences firing, the negative being small, the positive being big, so that the big positive experience gradually associates the negative and erases it eventually over time. That's a long-term strategy that's very legitimate. It's at the heart of all the trauma therapies, typically one kind or another. It's a very standard method. And you can do it on your own as long as you're not sucked into the negative. Yeah, and that's the key thing is not getting sucked into the negative when you're, you're thinking about it. And I think some of the pushback that I've, felt about mm-hmm. linking is mm-hmm. let's say you know i i have a negative event and i want to to be able to link that with a positive event am i making that negative event feel positive oh that's very interesting um i think it helps to address to deal with this in concrete ways mm-hmm. so let's be clear that we're not talking about fighting the negative because then it just gets more negative right mm-hmm. fighting so, is negative. yeah Think of like a a first responder or a caregiver or you're in a business situation, really anything. Let's talk about helplessness or let's talk about um, feeling inadequate, let's say, or not good about yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to distinguish between situations in which the fact was you were not able to save that person or you were in a large situation. I'm thinking of my father's last months where many forces were arrayed against me, including in my kind of nutty family system. And I just was not, I was helpless. I was powerless. Powerless is maybe another word that's more neutral. I was just powerless. I was unable to change those things. Uh, That's a fact sometimes. Mm -hmm. but the painful, depressing feeling of helplessness that then gets transferred to other situations, that's not good. Mm. That's when the world becomes overwhelming. Yeah. And so I want to distinguish between, because I don't believe in positive thinking. I want to see realistically, yeah, I was outgunned. I was outnumbered. I lost. They scored on me. They got me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't stop it. The patient died. You know, we did everything we possibly could. Uh, you know, my, my sister has power of attorney. That's just the way it is. That's here we are. Mm. You can recognize that, but do you need to be upset about it? Does it need to invade the core of your being and remain? That's the key distinction. And mm. so we're not trying to falsify what happened or uh, deny the appropriate feelings of helplessness, let's say, when you're powerless. But what we are trying to do is not let that material, that negative material, overgeneralize to current or future situations. And we're we're trying to prevent it from making us depressed and, and wearing us down over time. That's the key distinction. And mm-hmm. that means what's implicit in that is that inside your own mind, you're an active agent. You get to choose. It's like you're in a meeting and a bunch of people say stuff. And some of it you think to yourself, that's a bunch of hooey. I don't believe that. But I'm not in a position that I can say so. I need to, I need to maintain my poker face. I, it's not my place to speak up. I'm just going to let that go by. But other things happen in the meeting and you decide for yourself, I like that. I think that's a good idea. I think that's true. I think that's useful. I'm going to go after that. That's a good one. 
well, our mind is like a meeting. <laughs> all kinds of stuff's happening. There are all oh, kinds God. of players at the table, some serious whack jobs in my mind. It's a zoo, some ancient little critters. I joke about a lizard, mouse, and monkey inside us all uh, related to safety and satisfaction and connection. And uh, we get to pick and choose as active agents if we're ready for it. Mm. If we're prepared to take that kind of responsibility and that leadership inside our own mind, mm -hmm. and then we get to pick and choose. We get to recognize, you know, there was nothing I could do there in so many ways. And still, there were other things, though, with fill in the blank, my father's health care, the, you know, staving off bankruptcy process we're in right now in our company, uh, you know, in my personal relationship. There are areas where I did exercise agency. I did have power and I used my power well. I'm going to try to see the whole picture and not be burdened by the negative um, because it makes me suffer. And also it wears down my physical health. And when I'm burdened by the negative, I'm, I've, I'm less available for other people. Uh, right. Yeah. And I want to grow the positive to protect my physical health, to improve my well-being and to develop more strengths inside, more resources inside that I can then offer to other people. So in a way, linking the positive is a way of stopping struggling? You mean with the negative material? Yeah, like part yeah, of our problem. In the sense of the word struggle that you mean it here, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was trapped in kelp one time. I struggled to make it out. I'm glad I struggled uh, mm -hmm. in a way, but, but the negative sense, yeah. Resistance or aversion. Yeah. That's right. exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This has been really great. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll, you know, it's a funny way to summarize a lot of this. Like if you want to get good at tennis or golf or anything, cooking, study people who are really good at it. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's say someone is dealing in a caregiver situation with something, a, a spouse, a parent, something. They should study someone who's good at that, like you, <laughs> and learn from someone, right? You're well, very the same, Yeah, in the same way. Um, if we want to get good at profound well-being and wisdom and enormous capacity to help other people, Let's study those who've gotten really good at it, including mm -hmm. people who are very far along in their personal development, their personal practice. Pick your person, whoever it might be to you. It could be someone famous. It could be someone, you know, your preschool teacher or uh, your grandmother. You just, but they're just amazing. And, you know, they've not written a book, but they're still amazing. And um, so I think about a friend of mine who was a monk in Thailand for nine years and uh, I asked him once if he ever met anyone who was enlightened. And he said, first in that culture, it's not like you have a white light moment and then you get your own TV show in the next week. They watch you for 10 years. You know, they watch you for a while to see what you do mm -hmm. under thick and thin. That's the real test. Um, and I said, okay, okay, I got it. That said, were there, did you meet people who people considered enlightened or very far along? He said, yeah, there were certainly people who were very far along in their practice. I asked him, what were they like? Right. What in other words? What's possible? Maybe we're not yet there, but we're on the path there. Do and they maybe, glow in the dark. And maybe some good moments. Yeah, uh, we're we're all the way there. Right. Okay. Uh, he said. Well, he said several things. He said. Well, first they had a lot of energy. They helped things. They like they were the abbot of the monastery, or they were involved in a clinic, or they were they just helped people. They didn't just sit on a cushion or in a cave and bliss out all the time. They wanted mm -hmm. to keep contributing. And that's a really good point that as we become happier and joyful and at peace inside ourselves, we actually are less likely to be a jerk and we're more likely to be really kind and generous to others. That's a good thing. Mm. We practice for their sake, not just for our own sake. Second thing he said was that they were genuine. They were sometimes they were quiet, sometimes they were uh, funny, sometimes they were firm, sometimes they were really laid back. They were real. They wasn't. They didn't just. They didn't glow in the dark. They were natural. You mm. know, uh, their back hurt sometimes. They had to use the bathroom. Uh, they felt sad when their friend died. You know, they were real people. 
that's also really good to know. They weren't some kind of make-believe fantasy figure. The third thing, he said they were always, but they were always the same in this way. What way? He said, well, if you were nice to them, they really loved you. If you were mean to them, they really loved you. Their love was unshakable. Hmm. You know, that core was never invaded and occupied and tainted by the experiences they were having. Their love was unconditional. And I think that's part of what we're talking about. Uh, Applied to love and also applied to happiness and compassion and uh, inner strengths and skillfulness. That as we grow them inside ourselves, they're increasingly unconditional because they're not based on external conditions. We have them with us, hardwired, literally, into our own body that we can carry with us wherever we go. (coughs) Excuse me. That goes back to agency, right? Yeah. If we don't make that step Mm -hmm. to have some agency, we can't really be completely comfortable with ourselves, maybe. Well, I think you're right that it requires agency to deliberately help yourself heal and grow. That's true. Better said. Thank you. Yeah. And maybe I think sometimes people are comfortable with themselves and maybe they have a life that's not that challenging. Uh, That's great. But as a lot of research shows, these traits, so maybe that's a person who had trait comfort with themselves. Mm -hmm. About a third of the causes of our traits are baked into our DNA. The rest of them are acquired. So also maybe that person just had a lot of experiences as a kid growing up in a healthy family. Like my wife's family was really healthy when she grew up. It's annoying sometimes. She doesn't understand neurotic <laughs> people like me, but you know, it still, it's pretty healthy. Um, but it's still a lot of who we are, boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's a result of how the world impacts us and, and what we do inside our own mind. And that's the part you're right, where I think agency is really important. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great talking with you. I'm Thank really you happy so we much. talked together. It's really, it's been a pleasure. And I really encourage people to follow up and be like me. Listen to Rick's book like 9,000 times so that you can really <laughs> absorb it. Because it's, it's the kind of material that is takes a little while to digest and taking it in small bites. I'm a big audiobook listener because I will listen to things and then I'll go digest it for a while. And, mm-hmm. and that's just easier for me, but you know, I really encourage people to follow up and, and uh, start taking some agency. Right. Oh. That's great. Take in the good, use your agency to take in the good. Take in the good. I like that. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Janet.